Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Sharp Way. I am your co-host, who is singular today, Olivia Rondo, and I am back. You may have seen me on last episode, last Thursday, when I was co-hosting with Larry. Unfortunately, he is having a break today. He is preoccupied. He's doing something else. So I'm here today, and I just wanted to open up and talk about basically the topics I have set for tonight, which are the Virginia gubernatorial election and the results of that, as well as the New York City mayoral race and the results of that. So obviously, Larry has already spoken a bit about this last night when he was on uh, the Sharpway channel, but I just wanted to give my point of view. And if you guys didn't know, I'm an independent. I do lean uh, to the right side of libertarianism. So I do hold a lot of the same beliefs as Larry, but slightly different. So I'm here to provide my perspective. And I hope you guys uh, enjoy and feel free to interact and drop comments and questions. Um, what's up? Awesome. So just to get started, I uh, for a little bit of background information, I live in the DMV, I live in Maryland, and uh, I live about 20 minutes from the Virginia border. So sitting at home every day leading up to the Virginia election, I was seeing the Virginia uh, campaign advertisements and political videos every single day, and it was getting a little bit annoying. And I would see mostly Terry McAuliffe stuff. I don't know if Young can just didn't pay for as much uh, airtime air or just... I just didn't receive it because I am not technically in Virginia, so I don't know how it works with that. Um, but I just, I, it was very annoying to see a lot of Terry McAuliffe stuff. So uh, I am glad that he lost. However, I am shocked and I'm, and I'm surprised, and I'll tell you why. Um, the bar for Democrats in Virginia is so low. Um, I, it's like uh, they, they had Ralph Northam, who is completely insane, was exposed for being a rape, uh, a, a, a racist, um, and uh, still got elected. So I wasn't super hopeful. I understand that the DMV especially is a very purple area, but it does lean more liberal, and a big part of that is Washington, D.C. And so me being in the D.C. area, I guess I might have had like a clouded view of how the rest of, you know, uh, Western and Southern Virginia was feeling. So I guess they were feeling more Republican. And um, like I said before, I'm an independent. I'm not a Republican. Um, and obviously, this is a libertarian channel. But uh, for my purposes and for um, the things that I'm passionate about, which is the Second Amendment, uh, the First Amendment, um, a lot of things like that. Uh, I am glad that the Republican won. And so I want to talk a little bit about why. And I'm sure that you guys have a lot to say on this. And I will get to your comments and questions. But my theory is that the Democrats are not as pro-big government as the Virginia Dems thought they were going to be. Meaning that when Terry McAuliffe said that he was going to take control of the, of the public education system, take it away from the parents and give it to the government... I guess a lot of Democrats didn't like that. And I think they uh, overestimated how many Democrats would be in support of that. And the polls definitely didn't do them any favors. And I think they gave them false hope. And when I saw the polls, I was like, oh, it's in the bag for Terry. Because uh, I forget the source of this one poll. Uh, so uh, if anyone could look it up real quick, they could probably find it. But there was one uh, statistic that I saw that came out um, about a week before the election. I think that was 70% of Democrats um had approved of um, Terry McAuliffe's comments on education. And um, I saw that and lost a lot of hope because I was like, oh my gosh, well, Democrats clearly don't care. But um, I, I guess that poll was just fake. It was just false. It was fake news. It was false information. Um, so, so clearly Democrats do care about education. And that's something that libertarians should really tap into because um, and in hindsight, I should have thought about it more in this way. Uh, a lot of things uh, that the Democrats and myself have in common is a distrust of government, except for theirs is for different reasons. A lot of people who are more on the left are like, you know, the government is white supremacists, they're Nazis, they're fascists. And that's the reason why they had to vote Biden in and vote Trump out because they had to get the fascist dictator out, right? But they still distrust the government. So if you make the case that the government that is in charge of their children's education is the fascist racist, then all of a sudden they don't want uh, the government in charge of their education. So I think that the libertarians should actually play into that more um, because young 
Youngkin is a very boring candidate. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm not going to be overly nice to Youngkin just because I don't like Terry McAuliffe. I mean, he's clearly just an average run-of-the-mill establishment Republican. Now, I'm not saying I've seen him do anything particularly bad, but he just doesn't stick out to me as a candidate. He doesn't seem too unique. And if anyone wants to correct me if I'm wrong, go ahead. I just don't know much about him. Um, but the fact that Terry McAuliffe botched his campaign so badly by going after children and by going after parents um, right at the same time that parents were being labeled as domestic terrorists by the DOJ and how the government had to walk it back and apologize. Like now parents are mad, you know, now parents of, of children in the public school system are angry. And so Terry botched it so bad that Youngkin won. And I really believe that because I didn't really see any Republican strategy. As I was saying, I wasn't seeing Youngkin ads on TV, and I did do the little disclaimer. I don't live in Virginia, but while living in Maryland, I saw hella Terry McAuliffe ads. Um, so I, 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 I'm questioning the GOP strategy, and and instead of giving the GOP free advice, I want to give the Libertarians free advice. I think that the Libertarians should have really jumped on that and really made some waves because um, obviously uh, Project Lincoln decided to. Um, uh, do that little hoax with the fake Charlottesville slash white supremacist rally that was supposed to be going on at the Yunkin bus tour. And they hired some actors who were all exposed to be members of the Virginia Democrats um, to dress up as Charlottesville protesters with the cheeky torches and everything. And um, so, yeah, Lincoln Project and Terry McAuliffe won Yunkin that election. And so I'm my theory, my point of view is that libertarians should have put some put some more messaging out there instead of letting um, instead of letting young can just reap all the benefits of them having a horrible democratic candidate. And I think it's super possible and I'm willing to help anywhere I can. And I'm going to read some comments. This is so true. So true, Shelly. Any party or politician that goes after people's children is doomed to fail. No one wants the government making parental decisions. Exactly. That, that, that's exactly my, uh, is that, it's exactly my point. It's what I should have seen earlier because uh, when I was still under the impression that um, Terry McAuliffe was going to win, I really wasn't thinking about how uh, Democrats would feel about it, even if, you know, if they would be willing to, you know, cross party lines for it. And for their children, I guess they are, which is a little bit uh, heartwarming, I guess. It makes me feel better. Tyler says, I think Young can embrace some Trump stuff without embracing Trump himself. Now, for the Republican base in Virginia, that's probably good. Uh, for the base that was leaving Terry McAuliffe, who, uh, you know, is 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 feeling disenfranchised and disenchanted by his, his views on education, that's probably not the best thing. Um, I think that Youngkin could have done, done a lot more to have that race in the bag because I just really was bored by him. And Shelly, to answer your question, what did the Tiki Torches stand for? So for those who don't know, uh, the Charlottesville riots was a far right, uh, I guess, white nationalist rally in Virginia a few years ago. And one of the symbols that they used was Tiki Torches. I don't know why. I don't know how. But it was basically a bunch of um, people who were claiming to be white supremacists holding up like Tiki Torches, like that you would get for a luau or a party or something. And so that's why they had them at the Yunkin Rep. Uh, at the Yunkin event. David says, you start messing with parents and teachers, your re-election campaign is in the crapper. Our former Republican governor called teachers thugs lost re-election. Interesting, interesting. I think I do have to look more into uh, parental voting records and the fact that that poll uh, that I saw earlier that 70% of Democrats um, supported Terry McAuliffe's uh, views on education or statement on education. One, I think that the poll is probably misleading. And two, I would have rather see the poll broke, uh, broken down to like, what do parents think about it? Because those 70% of Democrats that respond to the poll, they probably don't have children. Or if they have children, they're not in school or public school at that. Got a question or a comment from John. Youngkin seems very passionate and was listening to people that Democrats called terrorists. He's in a career politician. Uh, the lieutenant governor is an immigrant black woman and the AG is a Cuban, but Democrats label them all white supremacists. So let's talk about that. And thank you for the thank you for the comment, John. Let's talk about it. Because so as I was saying earlier, 
Youngkin won that election because people are tired of being called terrorists. Parents are being tired of called terrorists. And once you make parents the enemy, and once you create a war on parents, then you're just not going to win. And so, yes, Youngkin seemed, uh, you know, passionate, listening to people who are feeling uh, disenchanted by that. I think he could have done more. I think he could have done better. And I think I could have seen more effective messaging from him, like social media and television and things like that. Um, and no, he's not a career politician. And I, and, and, and I like that. However, like his actual policy, it doesn't seem to differ from anything that the establishment Republican Party just puts up. Um, so that's my criticism, but it's nothing like he's a horrible person. I just don't see many unique things about him. Um, in terms of the lieutenant governor, Winston Sears, I had been following her since I saw her campaign ad maybe a month ago. I think she had maybe like two or 3,000 followers, and now she has over 100,000. And uh, it's kind of interesting to see that the Republicans have latched on to um, being like, look, we're not racist. We're all going to follow this black woman on Twitter now, and we're going to give her 100,000 followers. And and I'm super happy for her. I'm glad she won. She seems like a good candidate. Like I said, I followed her and I supported her long before the Republicans decided to use her as a talking point uh, for diversity and anti-racism. I just think it's really interesting how they weren't talking about her before then. I think it's very interesting. Um, and... Uh, Larry has probably spoken about this before because uh, both myself and Larry are good friends with uh, Kimberly Klasik, who ran in Maryland District 7 uh, for Congress in 2020. And she lost that race. She lost it pretty badly. And what a lot of Republicans said about that was stop running and putting all this money into majority black districts or stop running and putting all this money into majority Democrat districts or stop running and putting all this money into black Republican candidates. They can't win. And um, don't tell me I'm lying because I'm, I talked to a lot of these Republican strategists. I know what they're saying. I talked to Kimberly Klasik about it, like face to face. I know what they're saying. And I think, I think it's an interesting phenomenon when the exact opposite happens, when a strong black woman candidate wins without a lot of support from the national party or, you know, a lot of Instagram or social media followers and money and millions of dollars and then wins. And now Republicans are taking credit for it because they're not the party racists. I get it. I get it. It's good for optics, but I'm just saying, don't be a hypocrite. Y'all should support her way, way longer before than, um, you know, Benny Johnson and Turning Point USA decided to use her as a talking point. Um, comment from... Josh, I don't think Dems have learned from Trump's election. The silent majority just gets sick of the same old crap sometimes. I agree. I don't think they've learned. Um, I think that when they elected Biden, they thought that everything was just going to go back to normal. And by normal, I mean the status quo of the Republicans and Democrats at the very top being the exact same people, being best friends. Because I know it's a libertarian channel and we're not Trump supporters and super far right on this channel, but I think most libertarians can admit that Trump was an outsider and was pretty anti-establishment uh, for his for his party, I would say, for Republican pretty anti-establishment. So yeah, I don't think the Dems have learned from Trump. They thought that once they elected Biden, everything was going to go back to normal. They could have their little um, mono party or uniparty again, but no... I think uh, parents are waking up, especially and especially with I know we don't we don't really talk about COVID and things on this channel. But I think that the political climate surrounding the pandemic has also uh, aided in this political unrest. Let's read some more comments. So follow-up comment from John, if she was a Democrat, how much free press would Winsome have gone from the mainstream media if she was a Democrat? A ton, a ton. I'm so sure of it. I'm so sure that the first uh, black lieutenant governor in Virginia history would have gotten a total like press, uh, what's it called, a press tour from CNN, MSNBC, uh, all of them. Uh, that doesn't mean that Republicans have to play into the left's form of identity politics, though. And I find it very pathetic, actually. And I'm just calling out the double standard. I'm not saying we have to participate in it. Um, sorry, just still catching up on some comments. Is a mono party like a chicken pox party? Oh, crap. That's funny. No, it's different. 
Okay. Thank you, Shelly. This is, this is basically exactly where I was trying to go before I, I got off track a little bit. But yes, this is where libertarians can fill the void. People are actually paying attention to election rhetoric. Yes. Thank you. And by this, I'm sure you're, you're or at least what I, what I think you're referring to um, is Terry's comments on education. And instead of being like, um, oh my gosh, we have to ban critical race theory and all this kind of stuff. I think we should, we should actually talk about the root of the problem and it doesn't involve uh, banning any forms of education or uh, anything like that. I think it comes down to debating the principles of the government having monopoly on, on education. And so um, uh, I, I use this argument with Republicans a lot because Republicans tend to want small government, right? They tend to not want the teachers to indoctrinate their children with leftist political ideology, Marxism, critical race theory, uh, LGBTQ, plus plus, whatever, all that kind of stuff. And they are fighting, you know, tooth and nail against that. You know what? I respect it. But let's break it down even further than that. Instead of saying, let's ban this ideology, and, and like a lot of Republicans are saying, let's ban critical race theory, or let's ban this and that and that in schools, let's say, hey, no more government schools. Your child does not have to go to the government school that is uh, selected for them by their zip code. Let's just say that. And I think that libertarians can really, really crush that messaging. And I'm really, really hoping for it one day. I mean, Larry does it. Larry does it all the time. But I want somebody with a huge platform. I want Larry to get a bigger platform. It's actually like, it's it's horrible that Larry doesn't have a larger platform because he's one of the only people that's talking about this. And I'm sure I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm sure that everybody already follows these people. But I really want to stress that you guys should probably follow some other uh, libertarians who like the few libertarians that actually talk about these types of things. Um, my favorite people to follow are Hannah Cox and Spike Cohen besides Larry, of course. So uh, shout out to them. And you guys can also support the sharp way for free. Please feel free to like subscribe, share comment, hit that notification bell. I know that I'm subscribed uh, on my personal channel, Olivia Rondo, and I never get notified when the Sharpway channel uploads unless I hit the notification bell. So please, 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 if you feel uh, inclined to hit the notification bell. Uh, thank you, Missy, for being in the comments. Education should be decided by the parents in the community. Thank you, David. I 100% agree. I think that parents should be able to show up to the school board meetings. I think that parents should be able to vote on what their children are taught. And I think more parents should be putting their schools into uh, private and charter schools. However, I know that isn't an option. I know that not every parent has the resources to homeschool, the resources to pay for a private school, because guess what? They're already being taxed. They're already being taxed to pay for public education. So in the meantime, while we do have public education, I agree with you, David, education should be decided by the parents in the community, meaning like participating in the school and participating in the educational board meetings. Um, Jericho says Hannah Cox is one of my favorites. She's one of my favorites too. And it's really nice to see other women in the Liberty movement who have a podcast and who write and stuff. And we actually work pretty closely. Um, if, those of you who might not know, I'm actually a, a staff writer or a contractual writer at the Foundation for Economic Education, which is FEE, which is where Hannah also writes. So I'm just a huge fan of her and working with her is maybe a, a bigger fan of hers. Thank you, Shelly. I mentioned Larry Sharp all over the place. I mentioned him all, all over the place, too. He's just the best. He's just the best. A uh, follow-up from John. I see it differently. One is picking someone to run only because of skin color, a.k.a. Kamala Harris, and picking the best candidate no matter the skin color. I, uh, that's kind of not what I was talking about, though. I understand what you're saying, um, but we're talking about the representation and the reaction uh, from the Republicans in the media to Winston Sears. Um, and we're, I use Kimberly Klasik as an example, not Kamala Harris. And she was not running just because of her skin color. She's a Republican. So uh, just to clear that up. Um, another follow-up from Shelly. And school boards should know that they aren't there to do the bidding of the superintendent. Rather, they are the boss of the superintendent. I don't think a lot of school boards act like that. At least where I grew up, I grew up in Montgomery County, Maryland. And we had, at least when I was in public school, when I was in elementary school, we had a notoriously bad uh, superintendent. We hated him. The parents hated him. The parents hated the Common Core. They hated all the programs. 
and uh, he ended up not really listening. I think he got fired or moved to a different district, but I just wish more parents would make some noise about that because I know parents in our district definitely did. Um, but I think that's a luxury and a privilege because, uh, you know, lower class or lower income parents who have to spend their time working at a second job or picking up extra shifts or, you know, paying for their child's daycare while they're at work, they're not really going to have time to pull up to the school board meeting or the or the parent-teacher conference or whatever. So I, it's of the utmost importance to me to take the education system away from the government because it's like, it's literally a monopoly. It's quite literally a monopoly. That's what it's called. Got a comment from Tyler. How can libertarians capitalize on the strife of both parties overcoming the whole two party is the way to go way of thinking? That's something that I'm trying to discover and figure out myself. I think that Larry will probably be able to give you a better answer. Um, my personal theory, and he might, uh, he might actually disagree with this, but the way to point this out is to really, I feel like there's no one size fits all or succinct way to do this. I don't think it's just um, funding more candidates in the LP. I don't think it's just putting out more advertisements. And I honestly don't even think it's the way is to act like we can put all our eggs in one basket with the LP because the LP is not perfect. I think that we can still elect uh, Liberty candidates who are not, um, you know, in the LP. And a lot of people may disagree with that. But I think we have to kind of hit it from all angles. So um, one thing that the LP gets criti criticized for a lot is that they don't put out a lot of effective messaging. Um, if you guys follow the Libertarian Party on Twitter, like the verified LP national account, a lot of Libertarians actually hate it because they don't agree with the Libertarian uh, Party messaging because they're not going after the duopoly enough, you know, and they're not putting out television ads. They don't really pay for airtime. And it's like... At some point, if the party wants to capitalize off of the strife of both parties, they actually have to put in the effort. So I would like to see a little bit more effort from the LP. Um, there's obviously individual candidates such as Larry Sharp who do a great job of promoting the LP and capitalizing off of the strife of both parties, as you said, Tyler. Um, but it's basically individuals and it's like no thanks to the people who are nationally in charge. Sorry, just catching up on some comments. Ben says, I'm a big fan of Dave Smith. He's good at keeping the LP accountable. That's actually one of the people who I was referring to when I just said that a lot of uh, libertarians are mad at the LP national account and how they uh, and how like the LP board basically does not want to uh, put any videos or effective messaging out. Um, it's Dave Smith. It's Spike Cohen. It's Reed Coverdale. Um, Joshua Smith. Uh, Clint Russell, a bunch of different libertarian podcasters who I really enjoy listening to have, who have continually called the LP out um, on certain things, mainly related to messaging and social media. Um, so yeah, Dave Smith's cool. Um, a lot of, again, a lot of great individual libertarians out there. And then the party just messes it up for me. The party, because I get asked all the time, why are you independent and not libertarian yet? That's basically the reason. That is basically in the reason. Just scrolling, scrolling for no comments. Oh my gosh, there's so many. What does Mr. Sharp think about uh, mandates? So that's one of the things that um, we avoid talking about specifically on YouTube because as you guys know, it'll get channels taken down and demonetized. But obviously libertarians um, and specifically Larry Sharp are against medical mandates by the state. Got a comment from Logic. Some of the party messaging does push people away, like take the position of having open borders is definitely a negative. And that's something, and I 100% agree with your comment, Logic. Thank you. And that's something that a lot of people find to be a very polarizing issue. I know that it's a voter issue. I know that immigration and border security are very important issues to people. And it's a very important issue to me, so don't get me wrong. Um, it's just typically not the biggest important issue to libertarians in general. So for the libertarian party to make it such a big issue on their platform, like we support open borders, we support open, open borders, that's going to make a lot of people 
angry and going to alienate a lot of um, like Republican rejects or former Republicans or just more right-leaning libertarians such as myself because I was never a Republican, but I'm more right-leaning. And so, you know, when the LP National main account makes it such a big deal to tell everybody that they're a bigot if they don't support open borders every day, it does push people away. It pushes me away a little bit. That's why I appreciate Larry because he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the uh, minute details of every issue um, that libertarians uh, argue about all the time, because it's really not about that. You know, there are more important things to address, especially right now, as I was talking about before, we don't really get into a lot of pandemic stuff on this channel, but just the political climate it's created, it's very, it's very important to address it. Good uh, good note from Robert. If we attack both parties too much, we risk alienating them from uh, from considering or voting for us. And that's something that um, I definitely have seen happen. Um, I myself, I'll, I'm very upfront about it. I voted for Republicans before. And whenever I tell a libertarian that, they're like, oh, we don't want you in their party. We don't want you in our party, you know? And um, it's not every libertarian. It just happens when I post about it on Twitter and there's always that one libertarian in the comments. And it's like, dude, I agree with you. You know, I, I agree. Voting for Republicans has not been the best for libertarianism in the long run. Um, but yeah, like you said, Robert, it's like if you're attacking people who are members of a party or um, or voting for that party, then it's just like a little bit counterproductive. But I think that pointing out the flaws in each major party and especially the the lot the flaw in the logic that we have to pick one is uh is really the key here. And I'm sorry if you guys hear my dog barking in the background. Just reading more comments. Thank you guys for all the comments. Another comment from Josh. Immigration and borders is a wedge issue that R's and D's talk about but never solve or have a real solution. I agree. But it's also one of those things like pro-life versus pro-choice where there's not a whole lot of gray area um, that people want to acknowledge. Now, is there literally a gray area? Yes, I think that there, there could be compromise made on almost nearly every issue. But it's like one of those things where people are so absolutist and Puritan about it that they just don't want to. Um, but I agree with you. Lisa, that's what I was hoping to hear. Thank you. We're working on a Western New York County uh, coalition banning mandates. Good to see a candidate for governor that supports bodily autonomy. We'll share the information. Looking forward to see Larry at the Allegheny County meeting. You know what? You are welcome, Lisa. I'm so happy that you were forming that. Personally, I 100% support bodily autonomy. Um, uh, I don't know, like... Um, if I care about people's personal vaccination status, I definitely don't want people to care about mine. And I would just never want to enforce that on anybody. And um, I don't think that makes you an anti-vaxxer. I don't think that makes you anti-science. I just think that makes you uh, pro-freedom. And it's I, it blows my mind how it's such a big deal. And it blows my mind how people so easily, you know, fall for that trap. And actually, this brings me to the New York City mayoral race that I wanted to touch on at least a little bit. Um, because you guys are keep the great comments and questions coming, but I do want to actually talk about this. I was so hopeful uh, for Curtis Lewa. I have to say, I think, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, but I know his first name is Curtis. I was so hoping for that uh, just because uh, I had never seen a Republican presence in New York City like that. Um, and in, in my recent memory, you guys have to remember I'm 20, so I'm not like I'm I wasn't in like the Rudy Giuliani era, Giuliani area uh, era of like the Republicanism in New York. Um, so I was just so energized to see that and the fact that he was so anti medical mandate and the fact that so many Democrats and so many minorities um, and so many independents in New York City are anti medical mandate. I thought we were going to see like a huge surge of people voting across party lines because it's such a huge voter issue. And I was very disappointed to see him. I think he got less than 30% of the vote. I have to look it up. I feel like it was 28 when the last time I checked it. Um, so yeah, obviously he lost. It was very disappointing. And, um, again, let's talk about the libertarians because 
Libertarians could have uh, really increased their messaging in the New York City mayoral race because Curtis, while I liked him, he seemed like a good candidate. He just couldn't bring it home. A lot of New Yorkers cannot stomach voting for a Republican, even if it's such a over such a crazy issue such as medical mandates. So where the Libertarians can really make some strides in and say, hey, you know, we're not super socially conservative. And I'm not saying Curtis Sliwa is, except people tend to, uh, you know, look at Republicans like they are. So I'm saying that uh, somebody like Larry, obviously he's running for governor, but somebody like Larry who would been, uh, be running in that instance can make a lot of waves by saying, hey, we're against all these mandates. We're pro-freedom, but we also agree with drug decriminalization. We also agree with you on this immigration policy or on this uh, anti-war policy. You know, I think there's so many things that libertarians can do that they're just not doing. And uh, yes, Dave, I was pretty surprised as well. Uh, Dave says, I'm surprised Curtis Lewa did as poorly as he did. I expected to be 60-40 for the Dems. I was expecting 60-40 for the Dems as well. I, I didn't think he was going to crush it. And I thought that uh, I, I thought it was a little bit difficult for Republican can for a Republican to win, but I was disappointed he did that bad. And again, libertarians could have taken that moment to make great strides in their messaging. And um, they didn't. And that's a little bit sad to me. But with Larry running for governor, um, I'm just so ecstatic. I'm so excited to see the progress because I think Larry is different than a lot of libertarian candidates. I think he has the messaging correctly. I think he cares about the messaging. And I think he works at it harder than pretty much like 99% of other candidates any party do. So it just, uh, it makes me happy to see. Um, sorry, just scrolling up and reading some more comments. So comment from Jericho on CRT, which is what I was talking about earlier. Literally can't see him anymore because it's so big, but it's cool. I'm going to read it. I don't think people truly understand critical theory and they don't understand why the right opposes it. If we are to teach history of African-Americans, teach about racism, teach about the fact that racism probably still exists in a systemic sense, I'm all for that. I'm all for that too. But if it's when it teaches collective guilt, viewing everything from oppressor to oppressed and makes kids fixate on race, I don't want that. But let's teach history unedited. I agree with all that. I think Larry agrees with all that. If you guys uh, watched his most recent stream, he actually did speak a little bit about critical race theory. And it's very interesting. Let me take this off so people can uh, see me. But thank you for the comment, Jericho. Uh, so for those who don't know, yes, critical race theory stems from Marxism. If you didn't know, critical theory is actually fr was created and stemmed from and birthed from Marxist schools of thought. So critical theory is a way of breaking down uh of basically systemically breaking down a subject and collectivizing it. So as Jericho said, when we're talking about critical race theory, we're talking about collectivizing people into oppressor versus oppressed. However, as Larry said in the live stream, what we have in elementary schools and kindergartens and what the right is largely pissed off about is not critical race theory. You're going to see that being taught more in high schools and colleges. But what we are seeing being taught at a very young level, you know, six, seven, eight to 12 years old, is kind of a watered down version of uh, collectivism. And it's still not good. It's just not critical theory. Um, and I'm against it all. Don't get me wrong. I just wanted to clarify that and follow up because I did uh, watch Larry's episode, most recent episode before I got on here, just so I knew what he had talked about and what he wanted me to talk about when I came on here. So I just wanted to make that clarification really quick. Um, but yeah, I hope I don't give off the vibes that I'm a huge like CRT supporter when I said I don't want to ban CRT. I'm not a CRT supporter when I said when I said I don't want to ban it. I just think that we should provide competing ideologies. I just against, uh, you know, the government banning things in general. So that's what I meant by that. Thank you for your comment. And uh, another good comment from David, people don't understand that anti-mandate doesn't mean anti-vaxxer. It just means it should be a person's choice. I think it's super easy to understand. You guys seem to think it's super easy to understand. I don't know why it's not super easy to understand for the majority of the population. I don't know about you guys. I've been called an anti-vaxxer so many times this year. And it's insane because I've, I, I'm not going to 
talk about like my personal vaccination uh, status, but I've, uh, you know, in terms of COVID, but like as a kid, every, at least I know I was vaccinated to go to school. I was vaccinated. So it's not that I don't believe in science. It's that I don't believe in forcing people to take something they don't want to take. I guess, I guess that's super controversial these days. Jericho says that is actually how the majority of the population feels. I think the news just makes everything super hyperbolic. You know what? I hope, I hope, I really hope, but, um, you know, for my time on social media and I do have a substantial social media following mostly on Twitter and, uh, and it's mostly libertarians and Republicans who don't believe in, uh, you know, vaccine mandates, but you know, my tweets will make it out onto regular normie Twitter and I'll get, hundreds or thousands of replies, comments, interactions, DMs, messages from people who think that I'm a grandma killer, you know? So I I hope it's just uh, anecdotal and I hope that the majority of the population is, you know, just the silent majority and doesn't agree with that. But the fact that, um, and I'm using this as an outlier, but the fact that New York went so far for the Democrat so far, like over 70% went for the Democrat. It just, it just stirred a little hope. But then again, we shouldn't be hope. We shouldn't be hopeless. We should uh, just increase and improve messaging. So libertarians, I'm talking to you. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Marxist critique is only one school of critical theory. Freudian theory, I would argue deconstruction is much larger, but yes, critical theory is an academic discipline. Cool, cool, cool. So I may have misspoken a little bit, but Marxist critique is a school of critical theory. I think I misspoke and said that critical theory is a school of Marxist critique. So thank you for clarifying. But yeah, there's basically a bunch of different types of critical theory. Critical race theory is one of them. And uh, yeah, it's bad, but I don't think we should ban it. Oh, crap. Uh, Sam says, let's remove crap critical race applied principles from our schools. We can teach history honestly and bad choices without demonizing people today for decisions made generations back. I agree. Um, Except, and I don't, I'm not suggesting that you're saying uh, ban it when you say remove it, but just in case you are, um, I think the way that we should remove crap, a.k.a. critical race applied principles, is to get parents more involved in the school. So parents should be able to go uh, to the school board meetings and vote. And I honestly believe that if you're a parent and you want your child to learn CRT and you want your child to learn whatever, uh, you know, that they're an oppressor or that they have white privilege or that they were a slave in a past life, then you should be able to do that. I don't think anyone should stop you or ban you from doing that. Just don't make my kid learn that. You know what I'm saying? Don't make my kid learn that. Um, so honestly, show up and show out the school board meetings. And uh, one of the most pivotal moments I saw in the Terry McAuliffe campaign was after a school board meeting, I believe, or after a talk in education where uh, Terry McAuliffe left the meeting. And in the parking lot, he was approached by a parent who said, if parents, if not parents, who should be in charge of our children's education? And then he looked at the, at the, at the father and said, are you vaccinated? Get out of my face. This is dangerous. Are you even vaccinated and left? And so, yeah, uh, I think that was definitely one of the moments where, uh, he solidified his loss. And, um, I think that more parents have to show up to school board meetings like that. I mean, I commend the guy who went up to Terry McAuliffe and got asked if he was vaccinated because I mean, it's gutsy. Reading some more comments. Another one from Sam. I see things like the 70, 30 split. Referring to the New York City mayoral race, it makes me feel like the Free State Project has the right idea. Maybe moving to New Hampshire in my future. Tell me why I was just talking about the Free State Project yesterday. Because, like I said before, I live in Maryland. It sucks here. It sucks for gun rights. It sucks for drug rights. It, It sucks for a lot of different reasons. And I'm constantly thinking about where do I move when I'm older? I I can't stay here. I can't raise kids here. I don't want to pay property taxes here. It's just horrible. And, uh, you know, I think about New Hampshire all the time. And, uh, you know, 
it's it's looking better and better lately, but maybe it's just my desperation saying that. I don't know if it's actually looking better. Michael said, I'm all for teaching history, warts and all, but I'm not for the indoctrination. Teachers should be forced to program our children. I agree. Um, I definitely agree. And I think part of Republicans and people on the right's affliction to critical race theory is that Democrats are calling everything critical race theory. So, uh, and it's making the Democrat messaging actually a little bit stronger. And Larry's talked about this before. I can't remember if it was in the last episode that he did or maybe one before that, because I watched a couple. But basically, Republicans think that critical race theory is telling their white child that they're racist or telling their black child that they're oppressed. Um, Democrats will lie to you and say that critical race theory is teaching about slavery or teaching about the civil rights movement or teaching about uh, uh, Native American history. That's not what it is. Um, I think pretty much every libertarian, conservative, Republican, independent can agree that we should be teaching about the history of our country in schools. So they should be teaching about slavery. They should be teaching about Martin Luther King. They should be teaching about Rosa Parks. But the Democrats will lie to you and say, well, Republicans don't want your child learning about America's history. It's they think it's, it's they don't want you uh, learning about Martin Luther King because they want to ban critical race theory. Uh, and that's not what critical race theory is. Again, they're not teaching it in elementary school or middle school. It's something that they're teaching at a higher level of education. Um, what they are teaching is still bad, but it's not it's not uh, CRT and it's not Marxist theory. A, a six year old's not going to understand it. David says, I used to be a Democrat until I started pushing the white privilege narrative, the white collective guilt. If you don't agree, you're racist or homophobic. And that made you flee the Democratic Party. That's a comment I've seen so often, so often. And uh, it's relatable. It's definitely relatable. I mean, obviously, I'm not I'm not a white guy, so I'm not I'm not really the brunt of the attacks. I'm not the one that's really getting called a racist, uh, a sexist, misogynist, or that I have white privilege and yada yada yada. But you know, I I get it. I get called like a homophobe or a transphobe and blah 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 because I'm not you know you you can't look at somebody and see that they're if look what their sexuality is or anything. So because I'm on the right or because I'm more libertarian than liberal or because I'm more conservative than liberal. That's what I get called. So I completely agree with you. Comment from logic. Logic says point blank. CRT is evil teaching white kids. They are born racist because of their skin color. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I did say it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's completely evil. Um, whether it is CRT, because I, I, I know like in the, uh, California and elementary schools, they've taught, they've done like white privilege projects where every kid tallies up their privilege. Is that critical race theory? No, an eight-year-old is not learning critical race theory. They're teaching in a college. But teaching white kids that they're born racist, regardless of whether it's a type of theory or not, is evil. It's indoctrination. It's programming. Uh, we shouldn't do that. And uh, again... Shouldn't be banning it. Let's provide alternatives uh, to compete with that education because that's what all—that's what the free market's all about, right? I mean, let's be ideologically consistent here. I think that um, uh, pu- putting out—and uh, uh, I'm not saying put out Common Core. I'm saying that every school board or every parent or every teacher should be able to to compete essentially. Lyndon says, we can't have an intelligent conversation about American policy and how it adversely affects uh, poor and people of color because it will raise too many questions about the war on drugs. Can't have that. Oh, man. Oh, man. You might have broke. You might have broke the code. I think you might have broken the matrix 
if I'm being honest with you, Lyndon. I don't know if you should have said that because you're 100% right. Um, if, if we spend too much time talking about the actual systems of racism and the actual systems of oppression in this country, we'd all be shot. Well, we, we'd all be shot because it's, it's, it's not like the Ku Klux Klan running around destroying black people's lives. It's like the big government and uh, the war on drugs and the war on guns and the black market that prohibition has created that creates criminals and people who are on the other side of the law. Um, so thank you, Lynn. That's a good comment. Interesting comment from Logic. I would argue that CRT is causing irreparable harm on the youth going with the non-aggression principle in self-defense. I can see why parents want critical race theory banned. Um, I got to be honest, that seems like a stretch. That seems uh, like a stretch. I don't think that uh, ideology can uh, violate the non-aggression principle. I use that as violating, like I view that as violating somebody's rights. Now, um, if uh, a child is being forced to learn critical race theory, uh, which they aren't because it's not in elementary schools, um, then that would be a different thing. But uh, children are already forced to go to school and learn things. So then by that logic, then learning math is against the non-aggression principle because they're being forced to do that too. (laughs) Thomas said, Larry, love the new look. Don't you? It's great. You guys didn't know that Larry had a sex change? That you know what that might win a lot of Democratic votes. That might honestly do it for him. That might bag him the New York election. Shelley says, "I grew up with children of every color, and we would have never thought that some of us were oppressed and others oppressors. We were kids." Um, I agree. I remember growing up in elementary school. I grew up in a very diverse area. I mean, my city is like t- one of the top ten most diverse cities in the country. No one's no one's ever heard of it because it's not a major city. But Maryland and the DMV area in general is just super, super diverse. So you'll just walk into the suburbs and you'll see Asians, Hispanics, um, whites, blacks, Muslims, Jewish, Catholics, all living together. And that's how I grew up. And it's just so insane to me because, you know, when I got to middle school and high school, that's when I realized that, like, racial issues were, like, you know, a real thing. And I had to, like, deal with it. But, you know, under 12... Nobody cared. Nobody was an oppressor. Nobody was oppressed. Nobody looked at me and said, hmm, your family is oppressed. And no, I didn't look at my white friends and say, hmm, you probably own my family, you know, during a slavery. Like, and now it's like we're, we're telling up white privilege points. We're talking about, you know, oppression wars. And it's just a little bit disheartening. Michael says, how much of our government policy is used to keep the poor and people of color desperate so they either turn to black markets or have to join the military? We have a pipeline to both systems from poor school districts. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the public school to prison pipeline. Let's talk about the public school to military pipeline, both where, uh, you know, people of color, I guess, and uh, people of lower income get taken advantage of and kind of forced into these options like it's their only two choices. Um, And I did this video breaking down a lot of points that Larry has made about the war on drugs a couple of videos ago. If you guys have watched my pre-recorded video series, I upload a new one every week and I'll try to have one out by the end of this week, either tomorrow or Saturday. Um, But basically my point is that, let me take this down so you guys can see me. (laughs) So basically the, the, the point is that when you, when you create prohibition, you create a black market and that's pretty straightforward for most people. You can understand what the war on drugs, you create prohibition, you create a black market. So that means that the cartels are going to gain power, right? So everybody has guns, whether you own a gun or not, you have a gun. If you don't own a gun, you just call your guns. You have the police and they are paid for by your taxpayer money. So you do own guns, but you just call them. Well, if you are on the other side of the law, let's say you got weed. Let's say you got weed on you and you're being robbed. You're being assaulted. You can't call the cops. Those are not your guns anymore. You're on the other side of the law. You have created the black market for everything in your life. Now it's not just the drugs. So what do you do now? You're in the black market for guns. Now you're in the black market for security. Now you're in the black market for self-defense. And then things become a little bit more serious. And it's not because these people are necessarily bad people or irresponsible. 
um, or evil um, or criminal because they have an illegal weapon. It's just because they've been put on the other side of the law. So uh, let me <laughs> scroll up and put that comment up again. But yeah, how many of how it, it's like it, it's like an endless amount of government policies that have been used to keep poor people and minorities desperate. So they have to turn to the black markets for self-defense, for medication, for help, for family, for friends, for support. It's like it's it's insane. So by the time it's all said and done, your only options pretty much are choose to go to the military or you're in prison. You're roughing it. And that really sucks. How are they not being forced to learn CRT with it being in public schools? So like I said, critical race theory is 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 is, is and it's like a college theory. No, no, like 12 year old, even a 14 year old, 15 year old, they're not learning anything that's actually being considered critical race theory. Um, like I said, Larry actually broke it down better than I can in last night's live stream. But basically, as I said before, a lot of things that the Democrats and Republicans are calling critical race theory simply aren't. Does that make it good? No, but it makes it not critical race theory. And so, like I said, if you're being forced to learn critical race theory, like you're being forced to do anything, I would say it's a violation of the NAP. But just as it would be a violation of the NAP if you're being forced to learn math or English, that's basically my point. If it's part of the curriculum, then it's forced. So yes, by that logic, then C learning CRT would be a violation of the NAP as would be learning English if it's part of the curriculum. Um, but CRT is not part of like a public school curriculum for children. It's just not. Another comment from Josh. He says, economy rules elections. Another bad year, bad for Dems. Ours will get elected and the pendulum will continue. I hope we can gain a foothold through this buffoonery. Yeah, um, it, the pendulum always swings back. I don't know why people are surprised every time it does. I'm young, and so I haven't been around to really see the full pattern of it yet. But just by doing it three seconds of research and looking at the history of the elections in this country, obviously the pendulum always swings back. Nobody ever keeps the house. Nobody ever keeps the Senate. Nobody ever keeps the white house. That it just is what it is. And so, uh, you know, I, I agree with you, Josh. I hope that you guys can gain a foothold. Um, it seems like it's the next step. My channel is just my name. Let me put the, um, if I can put my banner up here. Yeah, that's just my name. That's how you spell it. R-O-N-D-E-A-U. That's my YouTube channel. Uh, I'm trying to upload more frequently, but I do upload more on the sharp way, actually. Thank you, Michael. This is exactly what I'm trying to say, and maybe I'm not speaking on it um, as succinctly as Larry was putting it uh, last night or yesterday. But yeah, CRT is being used by both major parties to activate their bases. Yep, it's a boogeyman. So... Uh, while CRT is a real thing, I don't think it's as big of a deal as Republicans are making it. And while it's a real thing, I don't think that um, it applies to everything that the Democrats are saying it is. Like, it's teaching about slavery and teaching about um, uh, Martin Luther King, you know, because that's what they're saying that the Republicans want to ban, but Republicans don't want to ban that. So logic says teaching English isn't or math isn't exactly teaching an evil ideology. Um, it's subjective. I'm not saying I think it's an evil ideology, um, but I feel like you're ignoring the fact that critical race theory isn't being taught in your kid's elementary school. And uh, I don't think anything causes college kids to riots besides uh, college kids. I don't want to like, don't take away our bodily autonomy. Now we have control of our, our, of our bodies. We know what we're doing. Um, and I mean, I was in college, I wasn't taught critical race theory, but, um, it, it, from what I've seen, it's bad. Should we ban it? No. Is it a violation of the non-aggression principle? That's pretty, uh, it's pretty laughable. I've got to say. Um, but you know what? I've got to ask maybe some philosophers about it. Maybe there would be somebody that agrees with it. But I don't think that any type of words or ideology is a violation of the non-aggression principle. Shelley asked, 
could the Libertarian Party join Florida, Georgia, and Alabama in the case against federal mandates? That would spread the word. That would require the Libertarian Party doing some work. So I, would, I, would, I, I wouldn't hold out for it. I would love for them to do that. Uh, but yeah. That would spread the word. I agree with you. Mm-mm. Sorry, just scrolling and looking more comments. Identity politics was used to distract everyone. I agree. And this is why Republicans are horrible because they took the critical race theory issue and doubled down on it because what they could have said when Democrats were saying, uh, critical race theory is just teaching about Martin Luther King and just teaching about slavery. Republicans should have been like, hey, great. Go on, go on and teach it in schools then. We're not worried about it. But because they saw that and said, bad critical race theory, it's a violation of the non-aggression principle. Then that's when they, they start looking stupid because it's not being taught to their kids. It's being taught to um, college students who willingly take these classes. So I just don't think it's that big of a deal. But yeah, they use it as a boogeyman. Um, and just like the Democrats did. Oh, for sure, Larry. Don't you don't you don't gotta tell me that Larry Sharp has the gall to join in. I know he does, except he is I feel like he is such an outlier and he's one of the best that the LP has to offer. And like I said, I had other recommendations before Hannah Cox, uh Spike Cohen, if you're looking for somebody who actually, you know, runs for political offices and is a politician and stuff, you should follow those people because they're super loud and upfront about their beliefs and i think they're doing a lot better job of it than the lp national accounts are like on twitter and other social medias got another uh, comment this one's from lisa where do libertarians and larry stand on energy sources just leave it up to the free market leave it up to the free market Leave it up to the free market. Personally, I think that if we left it up to the free market, I think we would see renewable energy. Uh, it would just become a non-issue. I think that the market would take care of nuclear energy. I think that the profit to be made off of nuclear energy um, is is too great to uh, basically think that the government should have to force people into re- uh, into using renewable resources. Um, remove subsidies, sure. I think nuclear is logically the best choice, but it is often ignored and demonized and requires funding for research. It sure does require funding for research. However, um, nobody's going to make any money if uh, the world burns up and uh, there's no more resources left. So my personal opinion is that capitalism should take care of it. Um, And, you know, if it doesn't and if the world burns up, then I guess libertarians will be proved wrong, but then it won't matter anymore. But my personal opinion, of course, Larry's opinion, is that renewable energy, nuclear energy should be uh, prioritized. And when the Biden administration and the federal government are talking about penalizing those who use fossil fuels and penalizing those who drive cars and fly planes, meanwhile, they're flying to Geneva on private jets. We just don't take it seriously. Um, And yeah, so the government just can't be be put in charge of it because they're just incompetent. David says college isn't a school of thought anymore. It's more of a liberal brainwashing academy. Um, I left college. Uh, I felt like it was, it's a waste of money. At least, I mean, I was getting a bullshit degree anyways. I was getting a political science degree. So if you're getting a liberal arts degree where people, where professors have the opportunity to like insert their personal opinion in it. Yeah. It's basically a brainwashing academy. Um, Just for an example, I had a constitutional law professor at the beginning of my sophomore year who on the first day of class said that he did not believe in the second amendment and that the second amendment did not apply to um, any guns today, unless it was basically a single shot musket. Uh, So I, I honestly, in hindsight, I probably should have said back to him, well, does the First Amendment apply if you're just sending an email? Because an email didn't exist back then, but uh, I couldn't think that fast, and I'm dumb. So, But yeah, to your point, it's a liberal brainwashing academy, and that's basically my experience there. So this is a good question, but I actually 
don't know how to answer for Larry because I've never talked to him um, on cryptocurrency. Uh, talked to him about cryptocurrency actually. Um, so he'll be back. I be- <laughs> I know there's two weeks this month that he won't be on the Thursday show with me. I hope that next week is not one of them because I want to actually talk to crypto talk crypto with him. It's just not a it's not a topic I talk about a lot because I don't really know shit about it, and I'm a big fan of shutting up when I don't know something. So I'm not going to answer that question, but I will make a note of it and ask Larry next time he is on the show. So thank you, Michael. Dave says, I have a political science degree. I'm sure it's, uh, I'm sure it's useful for some people. Um, I just personally could not stomach going into debt to be uh, programmed, you know? Okay. I don't know if I should answer this question because it's super alienating and I might lose half of Larry's base. Like the one day that he's not on the show, I might like lose half of his subscribers by answering this question. Um, So let me start by saying I'm answering for myself, Olivia, not the Sharpway channel, nor any Larry Sharp affiliates. So Sam says, question for Olivia, where do you stand on the big issue? (laughs) Does pineapple belong on pizza? I'm going to have to go. And when I say this, I say I'm. I'm not speaking for Larry or the Libertarian Party or the campaign. I'm going to have to go with no. I don't like pineapple on pizza. I think it's odd that people want to put any type of fruit on pizza. I think it's interesting. I don't really think it's disgusting. Like, I'm not going to look at you sideways if you drink or if you eat pineapple on pizza. But I'm just not going to do it. I don't think it belongs there. So, I'm sorry. Oh, see? Okay. I didn't offend you. I'm glad. I, I kind of backtracked a little bit because I thought maybe you were like a famous political science major or something and it actually made you money. But Dave says, no, my truck driving school cost less and made me more money. That's great. Oh, okay. <laughs> Missy says, Larry hates pineapple on pizza too. All right. That's great. I guess I didn't alienate half the base. Um, That's great. Yeah, it's just... It's weird. It's it's like sweet. Sweet on savory it just doesn't do it for me. At least <laughs> at least Olivia and I agree on pizza. Yeah. You know what? It's all right. We can honestly we can disagree on everything all day, but if you eat pineapple on pizza, mm, I'm just gonna question your sanity a little bit, but go ahead. But go ahead. Pineapple pizza with ham, only in Hawaii. All right. If it's, if, you know, if I have to taste an authentic Hawaiian pizza to get it, I guess I'll take one for the team. I just don't anticipate myself liking it. Um, so we basically talked about everything I personally wanted to talk about. Um, if you guys have a couple more questions, drop them in the chat. I have been going for over an hour, which is pretty good, but I do want to answer any more questions you guys may have. Um, in the meantime, uh, again, that is my name and the name of my channel. So if you do want to watch more of my live streams, I have guests on last time. Uh, yesterday I had a live stream. I had Reed Coverdale on. I've had Carrie Wedler on. I've had Spike Cohen on. I've had a bunch of different libertarian type people on. I've had Magnus Panvidia, my favorite Boogaloo boy on. So uh, you guys go subscribe to my channel. It's Olivia Rondo, R-O-N-D-E-A-U. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, just type my name in and it will pop up. Lisa said, thank you for taking the time to answer the question. Oh, well, you're so welcome. Thank you, Tom. You know what? I was a little bit nervous. It's my first time hosting Sharp Way by myself, and I think it's a learning curve. But, you know, I've had fun responding to the comments. I got to ask Larry about his uh, stances on cryptocurrency because that is something that I want to be educated on. So I didn't want to, you know, speak for him. I really don't know his answer on that. So that's the one thing I I regret about this. But um, I'll ask him for next time. Shout out to Pennsylvania and the LPPA for electing 125 libertarians. What? That's crazy. Yes. Shout out. Shout out the LPPA. I had no idea. That is awesome. That is really awesome. I used to live in Pennsylvania 
And um, I did a little bit of volunteering with um, uh, a libertarian candidate where I was at. I lived in I lived in uh, Stroudsburg, uh, if you guys know where that is, up in the Poconos in uh, Monroe County. So, yeah, I did a little bit of work there. Um, so that's awesome. Good for you guys in Pennsylvania. Um, I think New York LP is having an event this weekend. Um, uh, if anyone in the comment can confirm that, that would be great. Cause I will definitely shout that out. I'm not actually sure about that though. Syracuse. Okay, cool. Oh, Shelly also had another comment. Discuss the power of truck drivers as evidence in the Jersey election. Oh man, I wish I had a, a whole hour to talk about it, but I'll, you know, I'll talk about it. I mean, I had seen the power of truck drivers since the beginning of the pandemic when the shelves were empty because the whole, you know, the whole world shut down. And then, of course, people realized it wasn't such a big deal. So the truck drivers came back and the, the shocks were, stop- were stocked again. And, uh, and now we're looking at Australia and truck drivers have taken control. They've taken power. So I knew... When it came to New Jersey, we would be seeing a similar thing. I knew we were going to see it uh, influence the Jersey election. And, uh, you know, I just have to commend truck drivers. For some reason, a lot of truck drivers are libertarian. I think that comes with being well-traveled and seeing how government uh, affects your industry because it's a very important industry to our country as we live in a huge country, like geographically a huge country where truckers are super important. And it's so funny. I mean, uh, if you guys know Reed Coverdale, uh, like I said, I just had him on my channel for a live stream yesterday. He's a trucker. And I think that one of the main reasons why he's a libertarian is because he's a trucker and sees everything going on. And, uh, basically, uh, you know, has to deal with like laws, you know, like traveling uh, across state to state has to deal with like certain like changing gun laws and changing um, uh, like towing laws and stuff like that. So I don't know. I love truckers. They're the best. And they're super smart and they make a lot of money. And um, I think they deserve it. It's like one of those things where people look at that job with such like, um, you know, like elitist, like I'm on the East Coast. So I deal with a lot of East Coast elitists and they look down on truck drivers. Oh, just a blue collar job. No, that person is the reason that you have groceries. So it's not a surprise to me that they uh, affected the New Jersey election. Truck drivers are overregulated by the government. I agree. Where can somebody contact you to do their show? So uh, the way you could contact me, per se, uh, me specifically, is uh, just DM me on Instagram, Twitter. Um, my email is also oliviamrondo at gmail.com. To contact Larry to go on his show, uh, reach out to the Sharpway pages. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, all that. So it's pretty easy to reach any of us, actually. All right, this is the last question. <laughs> this is the last comment I'm gonna take. Um, Logic says pineapple on pizza violates the non-aggression principle and the rights of pizza slices across the country. You know what? I do think it's a little bit of reach, but a little less of a reach. So thank you, <laughs> thank you for that one. Um, thank you for whoever it was that asked me about the pineapple on pizza thing. I think it was Sam. That was pretty funny. Anyways, like I said, you guys can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thank you for watching. It was, uh, I think you guys did really good bearing with me as I kind of stumbled uh, through hosting my first Sharpway by myself. So I really appreciate it. I will be back next Thursday at seven o'clock. And don't forget, like, comment, subscribe, and hit that notification bell. And definitely follow Larry Sharp's personal social media pages as, uh, you know, as his campaign and social media activism goes on and on. So thank you for that and have a great rest of your night.